Well, we're nine days in, but it's never too late to wish you a happy new year. Unless you're listening to this in July, in which case I will wish you a happy mid-year. But whenever you're listening, I'm excited to have you join us here on the Isle of Misfits today. And whatever you thought of 2017, if it was your favorite year of all the years or you want to punch it in the face, I'm here to tell you 2018 is going to be great. And not just because of today's podcast guest, but then again, maybe. So listen closely. There's a lot of treasure in this conversation and a lot of background noise too, but that just makes the treasure all the sweeter. So keep listening. They say behind every great man is a great woman. And while some may argue that she's not behind, but beside, the point is she's there. And behind every great book is an author. So you can see where I'm going with this. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with the woman behind the book about the woman behind the man we all know and love as Oswald Chambers. Her name is Michelle Ewell, and she's here to share with us today about the remarkable Mrs. Oswald Chambers, the woman behind the world's best-selling devotional. Welcome, Michelle. I'm so thrilled to have the chance to connect with you here on the Isle of Misfits. Thanks for having me, Nancy. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you. Uh, we're gathering, of, I guess you would say, non-cookie-cutter types who want to explore some of the deeper things of life and truth that are often found in the most unconventional places. And, you know, it sounds from reading your book that you've had, uh, of your bio, I should say, that you've had some great experiences in this area sharing, I think uh, the quote is, God's fingerprint in everyday life, uh, traveling the world, meeting people, laughing your way through ridiculous circumstances. I would love to hear about a little bit of that. I just had a wonderful life. God has given me um, an opportunity. I was married. I am still married to a now retired naval officer. We've lived all over the United States. I come from a family of travelers, so my family gets together and talks about all the great places they've been. So I've traveled to 30 countries and I just, I'm obviously thankful for the eyes that God has given me to be able to see so many wonderful things, to meet so many wonderful people. I, it's been a terrific life, and it's amazing how it kind of turns up in the books from time to time. Um, I got to visit some of the spots that I wrote about in Mrs. Oswald Chambers, and total blessing. I've had a great life. Yeah, you know, I'm just, I have to admit, my curiosity is a little bit piqued about some of the ridiculous circumstances. Any, anything ridiculous come, you know, bubbling to the surface for you? Ridiculous things happen to me every single day. I, I arrived to teach Bible study on Tuesday, and we couldn't get the alarm to go off. And somebody, and I teach older women, and one of them fell down, and we couldn't get her to up, get her up. And then someone finally remembered that we could call the alarm company, and I called the alarm company, and I, we did the passcode, but no one could remember the password. And then someone said, "Oh, it's," and then she just smiled with this beatific smile because it was a spiritual word, and and that's what it was. And we all kind of gathered and laughed and got in, and I looked outside, and I had gotten. Um, uh, the whole episodes of Monk for Christmas, and we've been watching Monk we episodes Monk. on the clock, and there was somebody in a dark car wearing sunglasses and looking at his phone and watching us, and a man we didn't recognize, we didn't recognize the car, you know, after, at church you start to recognize everybody's car, and I thought, I can't unlock the door, I've got to lock it closed, who knows who that could be, and <laughs> I mean, great. it's totally ridiculous, so we go into teach Bible study, and it's, it's wonderful, and the pastor later, when I reported it, and said, ah, you know, he was here to visit me, and I had an appointment, and you weren't the only person who didn't trust him, <laughs> I just thought, ah, typically ridiculous, and then I went in to talk about Bathsheba, and, you know, David, and the fallout from that, so 
Oh, that's wonderful. And you know, and you know, if it was Monk, yes, he would have tried to figure out the password by personality profile, and so yeah. So you're right. You're right on target there. Well, that's fantastic. So, um, I all right. So I've got to tell you, I just want to jump right in because this book, um, it was such a joy to read. I have to say, you have such a wonderful, rich writing style. You know, when you write biographies, it's you know, I mean. The fact that somebody has a life worthy of a biography should be interesting in and of itself. And yet you took it to this level where it, was, it wasn't just facts about Biddy Chambers or Oswald Chambers. It was, it was a story, and it was a beautifully crafted story. So um, I just want to thank you for, for contributing that. You know, it really came from the Lord. I, I prayed every day, Lord, this is your book. These are your hands. I'm just the fingers and the brain. And uh, the things that came from that book have just been amazing to me. The comments I've had from people, I, I think to myself, I remember putting that in. And I, I think it's while I was fact-checking, the Holy Spirit was slipping in truth that people could use. And what a, you know, what a joy for a writer to get feedback like that. It's just, I mean, it just has compounded the fun and excitement of writing the book. I hated to finish the book because I was having such a good time. I've written a, an entire booklet about all the amazing things that happened to me while I was writing the book. Strange coincidences, information dropping into my lap, photos showing up the day after I write about the scene. I, it's, I, you know, I don't know how far into it. I said to my husband, like, I just feel like I'm being led as I write this book. And he who has been hearing all these stories started laughing and says, oh yeah, you think so? <laughs> what was your first clue? Oh gosh, it was so amazing. I I got started writing the novel or the book because I read a novel in which Oswald and Biddy were what are called marquee characters. They are real people in a novel setting. That book hasn't been published, but that's what got me started. And on the day I was writing about Oswald's death, I just was overwhelmed by grief. I mean, I knew he was going to die. He had died ninety some odd years before, and I was in my you know my storyline and. I stared at the pictures we had. We only had three pictures that we thought were from his, his burial service and wrote and wrote and, and just when I finally finished the chapter, I turned off my computer and I sobbed. I just cried because he was so real to me in the context of this novel. And I, the next day I got up, it happened to be Ash Wednesday. I, I attend a liturgical church and I'm in the choir and we sing that kind of dirty liturgical music on Ash Wednesday. And mm. I, I wore all black that day. I was in mourning because he had died. And mm. um, you know, I went to work in black, I went to dinner in black, and then I, I went up to the choir loft to prepare and I looked at my email. And there was an email there from a wonderful man in Australia, Peter Wenham, and the subject line was looking for information about Oswald Chambers in Egypt. And I kind of rocked back in my seat. I had just written that scene the day before, and here's someone looking for information. Well, wow. Peter's grandfather was a YMCA secretary in Cairo during World War One, and he had attended Oswald Chambers' burial service. And That's amazing. Peter, Peter had photos uh, that we hadn't seen before. Oh, my. <laughs> wow. Wow. One and story of, you know, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen that happened while I was writing the books, and it was, it's, just such a blessing. That is amazing. And you know, we, uh, I just have to say my mind when you were talking about being in the liturgical church, it just, uh, this is this is a rabbit trail, we'll come back. But um, but because we are still liturgically in the Christmas season, I was just reminded the other day that Christmas isn't over yet. We're still celebrating Christmas. And that's wonderful, at least as of, as of uh, the day that we're recording this. It, it may even still be by the time we release it, but it's just a wonderful feeling to know that 
that we can continue. We don't have to stop when the calendar or the Western calendar says stop. That that yeah. can continue. That can stay with us. Um, so incredible story. So um, now I want to. So I'm going to come back from my rabbit trail. But now I want to. Um, I want to just give just a real brief blip of an example of this wonderful rich writing style that I'm talking about. This was a line I pulled out, and I think in your first chapter I loved it. The blue-eyed girl with wavy dark hair who had languished during the winter months blossomed in the summer. I loved that sentence. Just that sentence was wonderful. It just draws you in. So let's talk about Biddy Chambers. I think maybe, maybe a good place to start is, because I have a feeling a lot of people don't know, how did she get this name Biddy? I mean, I know because I read the book, but I, I'm not sure that a lot of people know. It's an interesting um, story. She was on a, a ship going from Liverpool to New York City. She was going to America to work for a, a, law, a lawyer in, uh, through the machinations of a friend. And her mother had written a letter to Oswald Chambers, who was the brother of their pastor, and said, hey, you're going to be on the same trip, on the same ship. Would you mind looking in on my daughter because she's traveling by herself? And so Oswald, who used those voyages to relax and kind of recover from this very busy speaking time, he liked to sit on the deck and look at the sea and read and pray. It was like, all right, well, sure, of course. And um, he had met her before, but she was 10 years younger than he was, so he wasn't paying any attention. And he had pretty much decided that God wasn't going to give him a wife. He had no money. He had no home. So um, he meets um, Gertrude Annie Hobbs, and is they get fall into conversation. Oswald just loved a good conversation, especially over tea. And he just discovered she was quite different than he had expected. She was an extraordinary stenographer, 250 words a minute. She was lively. She had a fun sense of humor. She liked to laugh. And there was something about her spiritual life which also struck him. And Oswald had a sister named Gertrude, his his favorite sister, and he liked to give nicknames to people. So he didn't want to confuse these two in his mind, sister, pretty girl, sister, pretty right. girl. Yes, so he suggested awkward. a nickname, and um, he thought, well, beloved disciple would be the perfect name for her, which is interesting. How did He He had already made those conclusions about her. But you know, if you think about it, beloved disciple is a bit of a handful. Oh, beloved disciple, could we have a <laughs> Oh, beloved disciple, would you like to stroll on deck? No. So that quickly became unmanageable, so he shortened it to BD, which, of course, just morphed into Biddy, and there she is. And there you have it, folks, Biddy. So I love that story, though, Beloved Disciple. Yeah, you're right, it doesn't, I mean, I guess it rolls off the tongue, but it takes it takes a little while to roll off of the tongue. So Biddy, very efficient, and, uh, and just, a, just a great story. And so, all right, and then, you know, I, I admit, um, as I was reading this book, before I got to the end of it, I, I thought, oh, a good question for you would be, well, what kind of woman was this Biddy Chamber? And interestingly enough, I won't give it away, but um, at the very end of the book, that I think that exact phrase came up, so, um, you know, about what kind of a woman she was. But So you seem to know her pretty, pretty well from your research, um, as indicated by your writing. What kind of a woman would you say she was? She was a very practical, organized, efficient woman, as you would expect of a woman who had been an office manager and had spent a lot of time taking notes. Um, she was a pretty no-nonsense type of person. So one interesting story to me was if you um, came to visit her, dropped in for tea, and had a prayer request, she would let you tell your story, and then she'd just say, I turn this over to you, God, because she didn't see any need to remind God what you had just said. Prayer was at the element, the core of her being. She was always praying. 
And she was very generous, even when she had nothing. Um, she was well known in her neighborhood. By her neighbors, they would point to her as she walked down the street and say, she is like Enoch. She walks with God. Brother Andrew told me that story. Brother Andrew, mm. the former you know, famous man who smuggled Bibles yes. and copies of My Utmost First Highest across the Iron Curtain for so very many years. Um, yeah, it's just a, a no-nonsense type of person. A typical, in a sense, Victorian woman, but also very gracious and loving. She was hospi Hospitality was the most important thing. Kathleen, her daughter, said the books were not all that important to her. What was important was if you came to visit that you felt comfortable and at mm. home. Mm. Yes, and that came through loud and clear. I mean, the, the hospitality, the, um, the ministry of interruptions, that phrase came up several times. Loved that because I think, you know, I think Elizabeth Elliot, that she comes to mind as well, that, you know, I think her definition of ministry is whatever, you know, the next thing that God gives you to do. That's ministry. She understood it and Oswald understood it. And then what you said about um, the prayer request, I love that too because I, I think there was a section when they were talking about how they would spend a lot of time in prayer at the Biblical Training College, which I want to hear more about in just a moment, but that Oswald's advice, and oh, couldn't any one of us in a Bible study or a small group take this advice, that um, don't spend a lot of time talking about the prayer request. Just lay it out, because if you know too much, then what do you have to trust God for? I know I'm paraphrasing, but that seemed to be the essence, and I love that. I love, love, love oh, that. For, for sure. I mean, that's out of utmost, too. I don't remember what day, but if we know too much, we get ourselves in the way, and it trips us up in our ability to pray. Um, yeah, that was one of the concrete lessons I've learned, actually, from all those years of reading my Most First Highest, is that I just need to let God work and let the Holy Spirit speak through me. They were very sensitive to leading the Holy Spirit, as was is indicated in the book. It, the Holy Spirit motivated um, actions, the, the decision to go to Egypt during World War One. Oswald Chambers didn't have to go. He was too old to have been drafted, but he felt that the Holy Spirit was calling him there, and of course it all happened because they were so attuned to the leading of the Holy Spirit to do, to go, to go to Egypt. And Biddy, I mean, I'm a military wife. My husband has traveled the world. I have chased after him calling small children, and I was given the opportunity to visit my husband in a war zone and chose not to do that. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't anywhere near as dangerous as what Biddy did in World War One. She sails across December oceans Along the coast of France, through the Straits of Gibraltar, U-boats were sinking, shipping right and left. A ship went down a week, the day before she sailed. Um, all, and, you know, Egypt with a two-year-old, which has no antibiotics, where water is bad, where insects are horrible, in the middle of a war. I, it's just like, and to, to live in, a, to camp in the desert is what she basically did. I just, that to me is so totally mind-boggling. And yet, that was what God had called her to do. That was the leading and she went. Um, I would have made that call, probably. <laughs> it's so easy to say this lightly. It doesn't diminish the truth of it, but, you know, what God calls us to, he gives us the grace for. Yes. And that, that is for certain. However, having said that, I, it doesn't mean that the things he calls us to are by any means easy or comfortable or even fun, and yet his grace is there for what he calls us to do. And, and her life certainly is a testimony to that. Let's, let's, let's talk a little bit um, about the BTC, the Biblical Training College. Uh, yeah, tell us, tell us about that. The Bible Training College, the building still stands in Clapham Common. Uh, my husband and I visited it in 2013. 
it was put together by the League of Prayer based on Oswald being convicted that God wanted him to teach a Bible training college. And the purpose was to prepare people for ministry. He had gone to Japan, actually, with Juju uh, Nakada and visited uh, Letty and Charles Calvin of the Oriental Missionary Society and seen the struggles that missionaries on the foreign field had. And he came back convinced that they needed to be a college where they could have the biblical and the spiritual preparation and the ability to learn how to live with one another that comes from missionary life uh, in a live-in situation. Um, he was a speaker for the League of Prayer, and when he presented this idea to them, they said, okay. So a couple of months after he and Biddy were married, they rented this huge mansion. It had 19 rooms. I mean, it's six stories tall. It's opulent, and set up the Bible Training College. He was the principal speaker. He taught like six classes a week, and Biddy ran the school. She handled everything from the finances to the letters to organizing the one or two servants that they had, like the cook, um, and just kept the whole place humming and run running while at the same time sitting in on every lecture Oswald spoke and taking everything down, he said, in shorthand. That lasted for four and a half years. They had 103 students live with them over the course of those four and a half years, and anyone involved in London was welcome to come to any of the classes, with the exception of two small classes they had specifically for missionaries. I um, am going to be writing, actually, stories about what happened to a half dozen of those students after they attended the Bible Training College in my uh, blog over the next year, 2018, just telling the stories. Because I got, I'll talk about rabbit trails, there I was, following people into Africa where they went blind and uh, tracing through the depths of China in 1922 where they were, you know, hijacked by brigands. Uh, the stories are fascinating and I think we lose track, at least in modern America, of sacrifices so many people made on behalf of the gospel. Chambers so inspired and off they went. Also the Bible Training College, using those notes, for 20 years, starting in 1934, Biddy sent out a monthly newsletter to anyone who wanted it, but mostly to missionaries, called the BTC Journal, which used those teachings, and it was used as a sort of, um, course, not a correspondence course, but a continuing education for missionaries out on the field. For many of them, it was their only contact with spiritual education while they were pouring out. They loved missionaries, Oswald and Biddy. Had he lived, his hope had been to visit missionaries and, and teach retreats and mm -hmm. encourage them in their ministry. And because we're all missionaries in a sense, well, any yeah. follower of Jesus is a missionary, it's good That's training right. for all of us. That's right. So and are these are these journals, are they still available? Are they, have they stayed in circulation? Is there something that you can procure? No, they're not in circulation. I read through a number of them at Wheaton College where they're in the archives. Much of the material she reorganized and repackaged. Yes, she produced 30 books with Oswald Chambers' name on them, all of which came out after he died. But a lot of it was recycled material in the sense that she just repackaged it or reformatted it. Uh, a lot of my atmosphere's highest comes from the Sermon on the Mount book, a Sermon on the Mount book that she uh, published early in the 20s, combined with material from those special classes that no one had ever seen before. Uh, Jed Makoska, who, with his wife Cicely, wrote a daily guide to my atmosphere's highest and is a terrific person to interview as well. Totally mm -hmm. fun. Mm. Um, I'm trying to explain it. One of the reasons my atmosphere is highest is so rich is because she basically took the cream of, of the writings and put the, formulated them into my utmost um, 
and of course they've been doing their work ever since 100 years on now, 90 years on now yes and you um there was a section in the book where you you talked about this specifically how you know they were his words so she didn't claim to have written any of them she just meticulously wrote down every word he preached and taught um but she did have a hand in in fashioning and formulating and deciding what you know how to how to put this all together and, I, and that took tremendous amount of skill and discernment and sensitivity to the holy spirit um so to the point you know the the book that obviously everyone knows is my utmost for his highest so uh, let's let's talk a minute about that book because um i gotta tell you i, I gave you a teaser before we officially started the interview okay so you you brought up a few passages um, in the context of these were some dates that were meaningful to her and where you could see that they were meaningful, that she took Oswald's words to to speak to events in her own life that were very meaningful, one of which was her own birthday. So I'm not going to read the whole passage, but uh, I'll just read a few lines. Um, this was July 13th. Our soul's personal history with God is often an account of the death of our heroes over and over again. God has to remove our friends to put himself to put himself in their place. And that is when we falter, fail, and become discouraged. Let me think about this personally. When the person died who was represented for me, all that God was, did I give up on everything in life? Did I become ill or disheartened? Or did I do as Isaiah did and see the Lord? Now, it's very understandable why she would write this. This is her memory. It's on her birthday, but she's thinking about her husband's day of entry into heaven, the day she lost him. And I read this a couple of times, and I'm looking at July 13th, July 13th. What is, oh, and that's when my jaw dropped. July 13th is the day my own mother died. It just made my jaw drop because even the, the death of our heroes, that was the first line of my mother's obituary, our mother, our hero has gone to be with the Lord and she truly was um, and yet and what followed after that was a year of you know of, of a lot of grief I don't think I handled it as well as, as Biddy did <laughs> but um but that question am I going to become ill or disheartened or am I going to see the Lord I think that that was just tremendous and, and so personally touching for me absolutely and you know grief is an interesting bird and she's writing about this Ten years after he died, so she's had some time to ponder it. But she's using his words. She was just this extraordinary editor, compiler. She wrote all of the headline or the titles of the readings and garnered the or gleaned the past the scriptural passage from the thematic things that put together. I we tried so hard to figure out how she did it, and uh, it was a, an encyclopedic knowledge of what he had to say, and because she'd written it all down while she listened to it and while she she heard it, yeah, I said that heard it. Um, it's sunk deep into her soul, and she could pull it out and just put them all together. Truly phenomenal. I, I my mind boggles. But yes. yes, and July 13th, a personal date to her, and really the beginning of her ministry, the day that Oswald died. I mean, she had a ministry certainly before that, huge ministry, the ministry of interruption hospitality helping him he could not have been the person he was he could not have been as receptive to the holy spirit had he not had Biddy as a wife it's truly extraordinary duo they needed each other he said the words but he said i once i've said them i don't they're not mine anymore Biddy takes yes. care of them she organizes them he told that to a friend shortly before he died and 
it's certainly true. So they needed each other. She needed his words to put together. He needed her to put them together. So. Oh, yes. Yes, and I understand she her hopes earlier in life before she had met Oswald was to, you know, she she thought she had these high aspirations to work for prime minister. Is is that is that correct? Yeah, she, her goal was to become the secretary to the prime minister of England. Instead, she became secretary to the creator of the universe. <laughs> Not a bad gig, really, yeah, when you think about right it. <laughs> Not a bad gig at all. So, well, so seen that or known that at the time and her daughter um, Kathleen said that my father used to talk about looking for God in the haphazard had my mother not gotten bronchitis as a, as a young woman 13 years old 14 years old and had to drop out of school she never would have taken shorthand she never would have taken down any of those words we would have no books at all and you know it's that such an important lesson when we are living with an experience that looks like the end of all of our dreams and hopes mm. to be able to pivot in a sense and look to see what God else what else God might have for us and set our our sights on something and then God just uses them in our life until we get to what he really called us to do and she would never have done any of this if she hadn't had bronchitis in 1894 5 6 or whatever year and that that in and of itself what a powerful statement that you know god shows up in the chaos we talked about rabbit trails you know a couple of times now and what we see is rabbit trails god has no rabbit trails he weaves the, he he brings it all into his path he works it all so um so i think this is actually a wonderful segue i i want to talk a little bit about her own uh, we're in a way we're skipping over uh, spoiler alert i think many Many of our listeners and your readers probably already know that, that Oswald Chambers did die, a relatively young man. Um, so she, but she carried on for many years. Read the book. Um, but let's talk about her life, her, her later life, because I think this fits into what you're talking about, the unexpected and even, even the chaos and even disappointments. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Well, of course, Oswald died in 1917, leaving her a 34-year-old widow after seven years of marriage in the middle of a YMCA camp surrounded by soldiers in Egypt during a world war without any money at all. There was no life insurance. He was a member of the Salvation or of the YMCA, so there was no military pension. Not that that was a whole lot of money. And she had a four-year-old daughter uh, along with her. The YMCA asked her to stay on and continue his ministry there at the Zaytun camp, and, and she created and agreed to do that. Um, and, but that's where the ministry, the writing, began. So many people wrote condolence letters. People were totally shocked. Oswald was only 43 years old when he died. He was appendicitis. It should have been easily cared for even in 1917, and yet he died. But um, from there, in reply to all those condolence letters, Biddy was an inveterate letter writer, as was Oswald. She just couldn't possibly answer them all, but she wanted to. Jimmy Hansen, who was a YMCA secretary there with them, who had attended the BTC, suggested, well, you know, I've got some notes of the things he wrote. Why don't you just turn one of these into a pamphlet and just mail them out, and that will be your answer. And she did that, and then got a deluge of letters back, <laughs> and was like, oh, no. Did it again, and then, and it just continued every month. She just kept sending out excerpts from his speaking. You know, that, that's where the utmost stuff sort of really began there, choosing things to say and to share. So many so that by June of 1918, the YMCA came up to her and said, you know what, we will handle this. We will, if you will give us the words, we'll have it printed, and we'll send it out to all the theaters of the war. 
and they sent out 10,000 pamphlets a month, and they went all the way over the, around the world, I mean, to France, they went to Egypt, of course. People sent them home to Australia, to England, wherever, and that's where the ministry began. She knew that she had something in his words that meant a great deal to people. So in 1919, she repatriated back to England, which was broken. Um, England nearly went Bolshevik like Russia following World War One. Many people don't know that. Terrible societal roiling going on. No work. Women mm -hmm. who had had jobs were thrown out of work so the soldiers could have them. Right. England was bankrupt, and all she had were two, a couple of trunk loads full of books or notes and a, a now six-year-old child. And she was offered an opportunity to run a, a basically a Bible training college for missionary women by the same people who had um, funded the, the League of Prayer. They were from the League of Prayer, the Bible training college. And she gave great thought to doing that in prayer. But one of the recurring comments that had been made to her, both by Oswald and by others, was, all of these women who are around you are very helpful or wonderful, but you need to be Kathleen's mother. Nobody else. That's really your primary role, <laughs> along with everything else, to be Kathleen's mother. And as she was talking to these friends about this women, Ridgeland's Bible school, uh, it would have given her home, it would have given her stipend, it would have put her into position with women whom she knew and trusted. It's mm -hmm. exactly what she was, a missionary woman. She had plenty of experience. She was well-versed in Psalms. She was a great speaker in memorization of Scripture. But she reminded them that she had a small child. And their response was, well, we'll just get her a governess. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And that, you know how you get a moment like that, bing. The answer is no, because Oswald had told her, "Your job is to raise our daughter." And right. that and, changed. And that's what's yeah. That was so remarkable about that is it, you know the as a, that was very common even to some extent. I don't maybe to, well maybe not so much today, but for the missionary culture, often missionaries would leave their children back home or send them to another school, and certainly to the British culture, very common. And yet Absolutely. they chose this this alternative way of of raising their family. Exactly. Which sounds and funny to call it alternative, but yeah. Well, and the interesting thing to me is, again, this is another choice. I would have made a different choice, Biddy. I, that to me would have looked like a divine opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. but she never would have written the books. There was simply would not have been time, or she would not have produced as many, and certainly not my utmost first highest. And, you know, that became a whole little sub-theme of this whole thing. Is a book worth a life? I mean... My Emma's for his highest has been in print for 90 years, never out of print. It's They don't even know how many copies have sold because she gave away so many in part. But, right. you know, they smuggled it into POW camps or over one it, or two. It went across the Iron Curtain. It has been a sustenance for so many people for so many years, deepening your relationship with God. I, it's You know, my hope from, reading, from writing this book is that people will then go to utmost and from there go into a deeper relationship with the Lord through their scripture reading because... There's no point otherwise. The whole point of her life and Oswald's life was to point us to Jesus, because that's where the truth is, and that's where the peace is. And oh, yeah. It's there. <laughs> yes, and, you know, there's a couple of quotes that I wrote down that uh, you just reminded me of. Um, this was uh, Oswald speaking to one of the soldiers who was a skeptic, I think, during their time in Egypt. He says, whether you agree with what I've said is a matter of moonshine, as long as you begin to think. And... I, I think that that's perfect because obviously he was very focused on what his mission was. He wanted to lead people into a deeper rela relationship with God. But how can you do that if you're not thinking? Oh, absolutely not. And he may relish those discussions and those arguments. 
when he was in Egypt, the reason they were in Egypt is those were men who were going either to the trenches of France or they were going up the line to battle for Jerusalem. Their, their eternal life as well as their physical life was on the line. He wanted to make sure they had at least heard the gospel before they confronted their destiny, their death, probably their death for many of them. And that was the motivating factor. That was the push. That was the shove. Um, and that was the reason that... He was there. Absolutely. And people were not his projects. It wasn't, you know, okay, I've got to do this and check it off the list. And there's another, you know, notch in my belt. They, they loved these people. They loved them enough to tell them the truth and then to trust the Holy Spirit to do his work and to not guilt them or, or give them a, a rigid framework of rules, but to really seek the Lord and trust that work between them and the Holy Spirit. And that, I think that's a great lesson for us as Christians to maybe trust the Holy Spirit more, a little more, a lot more than we do. Um, that it's not our work. No, absolutely true. But it also carried on into their child-rearing. Biddy's relationship with her daughter, I mean, any of you who, like me, survived a teenage daughter know that that can be an interesting time of life. And Kathleen Chambers later said she really wasn't a Christian. She said it can be a, a handicap to grow up in a Christian family. Right. Because you hear about Jesus, and you hear about God right. so much, and so you think that you know him. But each of us has to come to our own personal relationship with him to understand how he's working in our life for his purposes, using our gifts, talents, and abilities. That's me, not her. But her comment was, well, her Biddy allowed her daughter to do some exploring, not into other religions or so forth, but allowed her the, if you will, honor to really think through what, what it, God means to her individually. And she said she really didn't come into a deep relationship with God until she was in her 20s or 30s. And then she gained to understand who Jesus was to her personally. And then taught, you know, Bible studies and did girl guides and things like that, where she related to, she was, she worked with children as she grew older. But that's another whole ball of wax for you to give her daughter the freedom to, to, to reach her own relationship with God without shoving it down her throat. I mean, she was obviously, Kathleen was surrounded by believers and people who were praying for her. She saw her mother in action and saw how God went to work in her mother's life, but it took her a while to find truth herself. And I, the patience of that is, is extraordinary to me, a worried mother, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and again, just another indication of, of being so focused on um, what that vision is. Uh, another quote that um, I love this one it is the peril of our souls that we get caught up in practical work and miss the fulfillment of the vision. And doesn't that speak to even their parenting style and their evangelism style and their teaching styles? You know, okay, there's, there's, there's the practical work of it, but if we get so caught up in the method of it and we miss the fulfillment of that vision, we, we would all be at a loss. We wouldn't, you and I would not be having this discussion today because they were, yeah, if they had not been as focused as they were. So I, for one, am very thankful. So, all right, I want to circle back uh, one more time because I teased this a little bit, but let's, in these last few moments that we have, let's talk about those la the last, the last part of, of Biddy Chambers' life um, because we teased that a little bit. There was, you know, it's, it wasn't necessarily the story, you know, the, the fairy tale ending, and yet, let's talk about it. Well, it's important to know that Biddy lived until 1966, so she survived her husband by 49 years. That's a full life, and she lived in England. She went through another war, World War II, in which all of the Oswald Chambers books were burned during uh, uh, the Blitz in London in 1940. Mm. 
And she just went through all of that with a plume, uh, just worried by God will do what he's going to do, and if he ends this ministry here, then he'll just open up something else for me. That's an assurance that we all can have, but I think mm -hmm. that we want to clutch on to whatever it is that God's given us now right. and don't want to let go because we might not get another one. And the answer is no, then if this one goes, then he's got something else for us, and it will also be good. But uh, I think that in some ways for us in modern America, perhaps one of the biggest lessons of all was the end of her life. Biddy's, um, it's not clear what the issue was, but she she fell into something that was akin to Alzheimer's, maybe dementia. It wasn't dementia, Kathleen said. We don't really know. We don't have medical records. But she lost her ability to, to, um, to do the work in 1961. And she ended up having to have some some sort of therapy, but she wasn't herself anymore. One of her associates says she just wasn't Aunt Biddy anymore. She was angry and she was vicious, and it was really, really difficult. Uh, a lot about what happened to her, we don't really know. Uh, she did gain peace, however, from reading a scripture. Kathleen saw that she read a passage out of Isaiah 61 to her mother about peace, and that seemed to settle her down, her unruliness, whatever it was that was driving her. Um, and eventually then, died. But, you know, we really want that storybook ending. She should have gone to bed one night with a picture of Oswald in her arms and a mm -hmm. copy of my book. That's the end of Titanic, yes. Yeah, Yeah. right. Yeah, woken up in glory the next morning, but that's not what happened. She had a difficult last five years. I'm not sure how much she would recognize was going on. To me, the takeaway on that was that our salvation is not dependent upon our our mental status, our physical status, our emotional status, our financial status, our political beliefs. It's dependent on our relationship with God, and it can't not be stolen from us. Um, and so, Amen. for me personally, that was a great reassurance that whatever may come my way, I have a grandmother who lost her mind. Um, still, I will be in God's hands. It, it will be difficult perhaps me, certainly for the people around about me. But I will still be in God's hands and my salvation is secure and I don't have to worry about that. Um, we, we worry so much in the intellect that if I lose my mind, I'm nothing. If you lose your mind, you're just a person of God who's lost her mind. Mm. But you know, and I hope this doesn't come true with me, but there it is. The Lord will do with your life what he will do with your life. And if it's not about you, it's not about us. It's about the people around about us as well and what they can gain from watching how the Lord works in our life. And to me, that was very reassuring and encouraging that I still rest in God's hands no matter what my circumstances are. Yeah, you know, I think there's a, a resurgence of hymns. I don't know if they've ever gone away, but people like to talk about them a lot more now, maybe because we're hungry for some more depth. But the, the hymn, Blessed Assurance, comes to my mind right now. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. It, it's not, it's not a, like you said, it's not about what we've done or what we will do or what we're capable of. The work of grace was his, always will be his. We tend to have this uh, if-then kind of theology. If I do this, then God will do that. And that was never part of the equation. And, and I love that you have come to this conclusion because I believe it's a very biblical conclusion that, um, you know, if, if, if we leave this earth without our legs, certainly that's not going to keep us from the kingdom of God. And, you know, mental mental illness, whatever, whatever it is that she dealt with, and that other people may be dealing with even right now, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, not height steps, angels, demons, not this, not that. 
What a blessed assurance. Yes, amen. Michelle, um, I I just know that people are clamoring to read this book now um, because we've only scratched the surface. So tell us, how can we find this book? How can we find out more about you? Well, I have a website. It's just www.michelleyule.com. It's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, and U-L-E is the last name, short and sweet. I write about, I've written some 80 blog posts about elements of Oswald and Biddy's life, about my utmost first highest, about my research while writing the book. It's all right there. It has its own page on my website, so you can read all sorts of things there. I blog once a week on Tuesdays about finding God's fingerprints in everyday life, whether it's within spiritual realm or the books I'm reading. I will be writing about Oswald and Biddy on the last Tuesdays of every month. For the foreseeable future, I've got, I think, eight posts lined up for this year. Um, so it's all right there, and certainly you can subscribe to my newsletter. It's all right on the, on the website. My newsletter in, uh, comes out January 15, or it comes out on the 15th of the month, and the, I put together an e-book of all the fantastic stories, writings, and serendipities that happened to me while I wrote the two books about Oswald and Biddy. That's free if you're a subscriber to my, my newsletter. So, and I'm happy to field questions anytime. My books uh, currently are available in all the usual places, um, you know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, my my local independent store, Lifeway, all the Christian bookstores. It's all right there in, in the usual spots. So, yeah, I would love to have you read it. And if you do read it, please write a review on Amazon because that's my report card. But, uh, and most of all, though, take a look at my utmost first highest. I write on my Facebook writer page every day my reaction to that day's utmost. So some people have difficulty with my utmost first highest. If you're one of those people who are just curious to see what stumps me, uh, you can take a look at Michelle Yule Writer on Facebook. If I'm going to go write it right now. <laughs> so, well, I'll be looking forward to seeing that. And uh, Michelle, I just want to... Thank you so, so very sincerely, so very much for, for being so generous with sharing these wonderful stories with us today and in your, um, in your prolific writings on, on Oswald and, and all things concerning the ministry that God gave him. We can't recommend this book enough um, to anyone who even is remotely interested in his story, his life, and most importantly, in, in the grace and the truth that, that God spoke through his life and through the life of his wife, Betty Chamber. So God bless you. You are welcome back on the island any old time. We would love to have you again. Um, and you're writing so much. So uh, I, I hope that we can have you back and talk more about some of these things. Thanks a lot. Thanks. God bless. God bless you. So if you're listening to this on a Tuesday, or really any day, you can catch Michelle's latest post, hot off her blog, michellemule.com. You can also buy her book there. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-U-L-E.com. And of course, don't forget to visit, follow, and tell all your friends about isleofmisfits.com. We've got lots of fun stuff already there and so much more to come. And that's all I'm going to say for now. You'll be hearing more soon of this, you can't be certain. So until then, own your awkward, love your fellow misfit, and keep your eyes open for the weird and beautiful truth. I promise you, it's out there. <laughs>